I'm sure that after the show, there's going to be a lot of people doing shots. So, so. <laughs> In fact, they may pause the show, go out to the liquor store and get a bottle of Jägermeister and come back just so they can get through the rest of the show. In fact, I might have to do that. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and my partner, returning from vacation, Dan Calzretta. Good evening, Dan. Dana? Dana, is that you? Yeah. I know you don't recognize me. It's been so long since you've seen me. (laughs) Three weeks. That was, you know, three weeks. uh, It seemed like a long time when I was gone, and now it seems like, you know, I didn't even leave now that I'm back. Not enough time, probably. It was great, though. We, uh, my wife and I were in French Polynesia, had a a fantastic time, Um, had never been any place like that before. So we really enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad you did. I saw some pictures and it looked like a lot of fun. Glad you guys had so much fun, but it's also, I'm also glad you're back. Uh, we've been getting quite a lot of notice from, uh, some of our Facebook friends and also some comments, uh, that we've received, uh, through the email. What I found funny is that we got more comments when we were off for three weeks playing repeat shows than we did when we the shows were, you know, weekly current. <laughs> I think it just goes to show that people didn't realize how much they missed, how much they needed the show in their lives. I think uh, you're right. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Makes a big difference. And uh, and you go back and revisit those shows. And actually, I did. Uh, you could see the growth in our show. And uh, you could see uh, change in our listenership. What thing that stood out to me was I thought we had a lot. We we have a lot of fun with this show. Yeah, well, I know I have a lot of fun, and uh, just listening. I also listen back. It, it is interesting how different they sound. Our ability to to really dive into the show and talk about things that not only are kind of funny in some cases. But really, I think important and sometimes even socially important topics. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things when we first started this, we didn't discuss that at all. It just kind of came about organically uh, as we came upon things in the shows that uh, we felt we needed to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, well, uh, real quick, a couple comments uh, we did on Facebook that we got uh, for a couple of our posts. They uh, awesome was one of the comments I saw a few times on Facebook uh, and uh, for things that we reposted or replayed. And uh, thank you for replaying. This was one of the comments I got. And I was uh, uh, kind of surprised because you could go onto your podcast app and go play any of them, but maybe somebody just didn't realize what they had been missing. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, or they didn't realize how an app works. <laughs> yeah. Could be. I don't want to give anybody grief. I've I've struggled with some apps myself. So. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I'm not throwing stones in glass houses. That's for sure. Yeah. Got uh, another comment from our friend in Austria. Said that uh, they had a wide choice of podcasts to choose from. That uh, they decided to go give us a, l- a listen, and they're still with us to this day. We're uh, very fortunate for the people that are uh, listening to us now. Yeah, I agree. And, and let's not mess it up. <laughs> God knows we've tried. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's true. I also received a letter in the mail, like the real wow. mail, where you have to put a stamp on the envelope. Now, uh, I've not disclosed your at your home address. So, uh, Are you sure know. you didn't put it on Facebook? <laughs> um, 
But no, I got this letter from Iowa, from a listener in Iowa, and it's from a small, like a clipping from a small newspaper, and the title is James Tiberius Kirk and Riverside, Iowa. So I've been to Riverside several times. Um, I guess I should disclose, you know, for full transparency, that this listener happens to be my 91-year-old dad. <laughs> <laughs> Who does listen? I'm surprised he has your address. So, (laughs) (laughs) and that he took the time to clip this out and send it to me. (laughs) This is what my son is doing now. What I just what what happened? All that money we spent on him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway, uh, so the the art newspaper article is about uh, this town of Riverside, Iowa, and back in the uh, 1970s. Uh, the town of Riverside was kind of down on its luck. It was very small, and um, there wasn't much going on there, a, a farming community. And someone on the city council got the idea of making Riverside, Iowa, as the official future birthplace of James Tiberius Kirk. Because in Star Trek, the original series, it's part of the canon that uh, Kirk comes from Iowa. He mentions it, that he comes from the state of Iowa. So the city council decides, well, you know, we or discusses, they didn't really know, could they do that legally? <laughs> you know, could they just say <laughs> that they're- Adopt so, a, a fictional character? Yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> and there might be like some copyright thing. So uh, in 1968, this is actually in 1968, when this idea came up, the, uh, the city council sent a um, letter to Gene Roddenberry and said, hey, would you mind if- we became the future birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk. And Roddenberry was like, yeah, it's fine. You know, okay. (laughs) He's probably just shaking his head thinking, uh, what's next? But so he said, sure. And the city council voted on it. Uh, They they decided to put up a, uh, like a monument almost. It's a big stone that says Riverside, Iowa, the future birthplace of, you know, James Tiberius Kirk. And um, then they started doing a a festival every year. And I was able to actually go to the parade a couple of times. It was like any small town parade. Every fire truck, police truck, uh, piece of farm equipment in a radius of probably 50 miles was in the parade. And then they had one float that had maybe six or seven people on it that some were dressed like Star Trek. Some were just alien looking. I don't know exactly what. Um, But the final hurrah of the parade is that they towed behind a pickup truck a model of the USS Enterprise. And uh, it was pretty big, pretty big model, probably about the size of a Volkswagen or something like that. And they towed that behind and, you know, threw out lots of candy to the kids and all that kind of thing. Anyway, so uh, this article talks about how in the 2009 reboot that, um, should we even mention his name again? J.J. Abrams? Yeah, that guy who hasn't gotten back to us, (laughs) by the way, J.J. Look, we've repeated some of the shows, JJ. I know you're listening, so it's about time you get back to us. In the movie, Kirk uh, is when he, I don't know if you recall the movie, but he gets in a bar fight and Pike sees him in the bar and he says, why don't you join Starfleet? And he's like, I'm not going to join Starfleet. And he decides to join Starfleet and he rides his motorcycle out and it says the Riverside Shipyards. Uh, Starfleet Riverside Shipyards, yep. When the movie came out, they premiered it in Riverside, Iowa, for the for the town of Riverside, so they got to see the movie. If it wasn't first, it was you know one of the first uh, screenings of the film. If you haven't been to Riverside, Iowa, you're looking for 
a cool kind of off the beaten path vacation idea. Screw French Polynesia. I mean, there's no Star Trek stuff going on there. Go to Riverside, Iowa. That's Riverside, Iowa, the future birthplace of James Tiberius Kirk. Well, that's very cool. You know, uh, Iowa is also the birthplace of John Wayne. Is Oh, yeah, that's right. In fact, uh, when you're, I think, driving on Interstate 80, there's a uh, sign that points you off in the direction of uh, the town where he was born. Yeah, it's just a small town. I think they still had the house that he was born in or grew up in. I'd never got off the road and went to see it, I was usually in a hurry to get where I was going. So, Well, you, everyone is. Unless you live in Iowa, you're hurrying just to get through. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, there goes our Iowa. There, there goes Iowa. <laughs> yeah. All except for Riverside. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So Nebraska, that's out, right? Yeah. Uh, Iowa's out. I, I think other, we. What other state have we uh, lambasted? There? Well, we Las Vegas. I don't know about the whole oh. state of Nevada, but I know we kind of pissed off Las Vegas. So, um, yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Sorry. We're just working our way through the through the continental United States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. There are some other famous uh, characters, fictional characters from Iowa. Probably the most famous. Uh, and I know you know this, Dana, is um, Radar O'Reilly, who oh, is yeah. from Ottumwa, Ottumwa, Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. yeah. And there's some others as well that the article references, um, including cool. the bionic woman. She was from Van Horn, Iowa. And Miss wow. Piggy from the Muppets was from <laughs> Keystone, Iowa. A lot of Iowa characters in there. <laughs> Miss Piggy from uh, Porkside, Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, pork is big. Pork is yeah. king in Iowa. Yeah, or queen. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Iowa. <laughs> this is the 17th episode of the uh, first season of Star Trek, the original series. Enterprise is en route to Beta 6 Colony, and uh, they are going through an area that they describe as a star desert. Now, I looked up a star desert, and I got hotel names. I got uh, <laughs> best place to see stars. Uh-huh. So, but because uh, when I heard that, I thought that doesn't exist. And I was proven right. The only reference I could find to a star desert was in Memory Alpha, the Star Trek information page. Yeah, it, 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 it is a cool image, though, isn't it? McCoy actually says, uh, brings up images of desert sands and mirages. And uh, there's a whole conversation uh, that they have around that. And Spock corrects them and says the correct definition of a desert is a waterless, barren wasteland. Sensors pick up a planet. There's not supposed to be any planets in this sector. Sulu's at the helm, and he asks Sulu to make a course correction to stay on course for Beta-6 Colony. All of a sudden, Sulu gets kind of a weird look on his face, and then he disappears. Yeah, he stands up, and he looks like... Oh my God, I got to get to the bathroom. Something's about to happen. Yeah, he looks a little like dizzy or something. Yeah, like he didn't take his dairy medicine and uh, <laughs> he had a huge, you know, ice cream cone and then he just pops out of existence. Yeah, and so then Kirk goes over to where Sulu was and he gets a similar kind of look on his face and then he disappears. Uh, at that point, uh, Uhura, that's because Spock's studying space, doing what he does. Yeah. And uh, Uhura says, Mr. Spock, they're gone and he turns around and says reverse all engines or something to that effect spock and the crew are say they've been spending four hours looking for the captain and sulu there's uh desal 
who is uh, the navigator, and Jaeger is on the bridge uh, along with McCoy, and they all are in favor of going down to the planet. But uh, Jaeger points out that the planet is volcanic in nature and uh, a person could not survive there very long. Then after some more searching, they find that there is a spot there on the planet that could sustain life, and they want to beam down to that spot. So Spock sends Jaeger, DeSalle, and McCoy down to the planet, and they're down there with like little oxygen masks. Yeah, I got to talk about that for a second, because (laughs) Jaeger says, just like you had pointed out, you couldn't last long on that planet that's got these, you know, volcanic gases and the and the temperature and all this stuff. And he says something about like tornadic activity and stuff. So it's, right. it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a bad place to be. Yeah, you, you don't want to be there. And uh, and so they get on the transporter and he's got on what looks like just a little mask that you would see someone wearing in an operating room, right? Just before they got put under for a surgery. It's just a little plastic mask hooked up to a tube. And then it runs to some little like- Little box on their belt. Yeah, a little box on their belt. How is that going to protect them from anything? That's the first point. (laughs) The second thing is this guy Jaeger- Every time they said his name, I was just thinking Jägermeister. Yeah, and I started I was doing Jägermeister shots about halfway through the show. <laughs> I was going to ask you. <laughs> like, I've never done a Jägermeister shot. I've never had Jägermeister, at least that I can remember. But I wanted to ask you about, like, do you have any experiences with the Jägermeister that might be like going down to that planet? You know, tornadic winds, uh, <laughs> gaseous. Volcanic eruptions. <laughs> Volcanic uh, eruptions. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I remember in college when somebody was first talking about it, and everybody was swearing it was fermented deer blood. <laughs> that's that's what people were all saying it was. And you know, being the gullible college students that we were, we were like, "Wow, fermented deer blood!" And uh, several of my friends wanted to try it, and I was against it. But then, you know, as the night went on, and we drank other stuff. Suddenly, fermented deer blood just sounded really good. So, uh, I'm not a big fan of Jägermeister. You know, we—I we, I need to look this up. Like this whole fermented deer blood, uh, uh, because I'm wondering now if um, this was a thing. Yeah. Okay, so I just put into Google Jägermeister deer blood. Okay, there were there are 277,000 results. <laughs> I am not joking. All right. Oh, I believe you. And then the people, people also ask, and you know how Google lists those, does Jägermeister have deer blood? Is there blood in Jägermeister? What is the deer in Jägermeister? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, uh, and then from Jägermeister.com, they talk about the myth of uh, deer blood, I guess because a deer is on the label or something. Yeah, it's a, there's a buck on the label. Yeah. Yeah, so apparently it was a thing, Dana. This whole deer blood. Hey, let's get it started again. Hey, Dana, did you know that Jägermeister is made out of deer blood? Dan, I think I've heard that before. We should yeah. look into that. Yeah, let's look into that. I, I think it's true. Um, just because <laughs> it sounds like a cool story that it would be made out of deer blood. Yeah, it could be like Mythbusters. <laughs> So we could be, this is another podcast we could do. <laughs> all the all the myths around uh, alcohol. Remember when we were growing up too, we were drink old style. And yeah, and the can, remember there was a drawing on the there's, can. 
There was supposed yeah. to, wasn't there a frog on the can there's somewhere? A frog. Supposedly there was two people having sex in the grass. There yeah, was, right. Uh, yeah. With the frog. <laughs> yeah, let's do that as another podcast. I think that'll be fun. I'm serious. Let's, okay, yeah. folks, listen. Um, <laughs> we may have another podcast coming up, so we will want you to tune into that one too. <laughs> We're experts, actually, in that area, now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah, well, a little bit too much experts. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> wow, the Jägermeister Dirbel. I had never heard that, Dana. Never. Really? Wow. That's uh, I remember I can almost see it at the bar I was at. And, of course, at Wisconsin at the time, the age for alcohol and wine was 18. And uh, Was that beer, for, beer, for beer and wine, but not for hard alcohol? Yeah. What did I say? Alcohol and wine? Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. You, yeah. You're probably the drunk for, now. You've probably been drinking <laughs> deer blood all night. Yeah. The age for beer and wine was 18, and the age for everything else was 19. I stood at a bar rail. Of course, I was 19, I think, at the time. But at, uh, still, I remember a bartender telling us that it was made with deer blood. And I and think one of the guys I was with said, yeah, it's fermented deer blood. But, well, not to uh, get off the whole Jägermeister, but every time they, they said that guy's name, I just thought, Jägermeister. Yeah, and I, I don't even know if it was around in uh, the 60s. Well, let's uh, see. I bet it will tell us when. Uh, <laughs> that's what Google is for, Dana. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been around. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I'd have to spend more time looking at that, and I'd rather talk about Star Trek. So Okay, so Jaeger, DeSalle, and McCoy are on the planet walking around, and uh, they find a castle, uh, which seems kind of out of place there on this volcanic planet. Wait, I got to oh, say one more thing. Sorry about Jaeger. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. So they get down to the planet, right? And Jaeger checks his tricorder. Great idea before taking off the masks, right? They check, check tricorder. Yep. And he takes off his mask and then he kind of sniffs a few times and he looks at the other guys and he kind of shakes his head like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I just thought <laughs> yeah. that was hilarious. I, I'm still alive. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Maybe the tricorder wasn't telling the truth. I'm going to take my mask off. And hey, if I die, you know, I'm not going to die because I drink so much Jägermeister. It's got so much deer blood in it. <laughs> it protects me from probably everything. But I just thought that was, again, just kind of funny. Like he just takes two big sniffs and like, yeah, okay, it's fine. So they find this castle and they go inside and right away it's, uh, you know, something's up because <laughs> right inside the door is a stuffed salt sucker monster. And uh, McCoy kind of like looks at it and then does a double take. Yeah, he does. Uh, it's great. <laughs> and then they walk past like some bird type figure and then they see kind of frozen Kirk and Sulu. Yeah. Now the bird. Hold on a second. This bird. <laughs> For those of our listeners uh, who haven't watched the episode, or even if you have, go back, freeze on this bird. This bird looks like a meth addict's dream of Big Bird. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it or it looks like Big Bird on meth. I mean, it is so, I, I hope we don't lose our meth listeners, Dana, by, by me saying that. <laughs> it, it was a scary looking thing. You know, it, it was like Big Bird's alter ego. Let me digress for a minute. There, there was a, uh, when I was a kid and watched The Outer Limits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you remember this or if anybody else will remember this. There was an episode, and I can't remember. I've, I've looked for it. I've never seen it. Maybe it was a nightmare I had. I don't know. But uh, this woman goes to the door, and there's like a giant raven-type bird at the door. And I want to say like it was formerly her husband or something. I don't know. But it was, uh, and I remember that giant bird scared the hell out of me. 
so they see these wax figures like of Kirk and Sulu and McCoy uses the tricorder and says that they're basically wax figures. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and right at that moment, there's uh, they hear a harpsichord playing and they turn around and see this guy dressed in 17th century garb. He bids them welcome and talks about, you know, Kirk and Sulu are great additions to the collection. And then uh, he frees them. We learn that Trelane, uh, General Trelane, as he introduces himself, has been looking back at Earth, he says, and that he's been studying them. And that's what he's made this whole castle for, uh, to uh, make them feel at home. And Kirk makes the comment that uh, he's looked back 900 years at Earth, uh, which would actually put his reference point about the 13th century. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense for 13th, 14th, somewhere. It just doesn't make any sense. For the being that the Enterprise was in the 23rd century. Yeah, and he talks about France and Napoleon and uh, the duel of yeah. Alexander Hamilton. And so it doesn't really make any Yeah, there's sense. a lot of stuff in there. And then, you know, where did the uh, salt creature come from? Yeah, I mean, the, I didn't even think about that. I uh, Yeah, that's a good point. Why would he have the salt uh, creature there I, even? I don't remember that in my history books. I don't remember, you know... <laughs> Uh, Alexander Hamilton and dealing with the salt creature, uh, you know, that type that's of thing. Be- that's because, Dana, they, there are things they don't want you to know, and they hide <laughs> it. So I was the teacher. I know this. I've seen the real history of things, <laughs> and they, they scrub all that out of there because they don't want to freak people out. And that's what the pyramid's for on the dollar bill, so that uh, that's where they hide everything is in the pyramid. Yeah, so. yeah, that's the whole, dare I say the word? Illuminati? Can I say that? Or oh, I thought you were going to say Masonic. So, as a, well, Masonic, same. Uh, I think Masonic Illuminati. Yeah, yeah same thing, isn't it? I mean, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> as we were prepping for the show, I came across an article that nobody's talk- going to believe that we prep for this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do. I mean, we both watch the episode. We take notes. You know. Uh, yeah, they're, everybody's going to think we we prepped for. Jägermeister and Outer <laughs> Limits. <or. laughs> well, we may have been drinking deer's, fermented deer's blood while watching the episode but, <laughs> and taking notes. But um, but uh, I came across this article that talked about uh, the coat that he's wearing. And the coat, you know, normally they have in-house oh. costume makers. The coat, this was not made in-house. They went to a costume rental company. And as it turns out, the same coat was used in an episode of Gilgan's Island, worn by Mr. Howell, and used in an episode of The Monkees, worn by Michael Nesmith. And they have pictures in this article that shows these these characters from the other shows wearing the same coat. So this Trelane character talks a lot about war, and uh, he seems fascinated by campaigns and battles and just kind of like all just zealous about killing and all the t- all the while, he kind of talks and treats the crew like they're toys. They're just like objects he's playing with. Well, and he remarks on the ancestry of DeSalle and says something yeah. about him being French and maybe even speaks a little French to him. And DeSalle says, yes, my, you know, my ancestors were French. And then he says something to Jaeger and speaks to him in German. And I did look up the translation, by the way. What he does say is Jaegermeister is made of deer's blood. (laughs) 
And uh, then he goes on to explain how he created this whole environment. And he says, you know, they've perfected a system where matter can be transferred to energy and back again. He says they can alter shapes at will. And uh, Kirk says they're leaving. And Trelane says he needs another example of his of his authority. And all of a sudden, Kirk is on the outside of the castle and the bad part of the planet where you need a oxygen mass type thing. Gasping for air and falls down to his knees. And There was smoke swirling throughout the scene. Yeah, and he's gasping for air. Mm-hmm. And Trelane brings him back. And he says, either you behave... Or you'll make me very, very angry. Again, you know, uh, I I remember thinking, who talks like that? You behave, or you'll make me very, very angry. It's a, it's it's like a a child's threat because they have nothing else. What I uh, was reminded of was Charlie X during this part. It was almost like the idea got yeah. recycled a little bit. A little bit, yeah. I had the same kind of thought. Uh, we go back to the Enterprise, and Spock is saying that they've made 14 orbits around the planet without any communication from the team. Spock says there is one small part of the surface that could sustain life. Scotty suggests that, or agrees with Spock, that they just beam up any life forms that are there. And uh, they say it's risky, but they're going to attempt it. Back in Trelane's quarters, McCoy says he's scanned Trelane, and he is not a normal life form. And uh, he says the scans doesn't show anything that he exists at all. Jaeger comes up and says that the fireplace is burning bright, but it's not giving off any heat. So Kirk at this point says that uh, their host uh, does make mistakes and they thought that they could play upon that. Kirk pleads with Trelane to let him go. And uh, Trelane is very insistent that they stay. Uh, and he says he was quite bored before they showed up. Kirk says, you know, we have uh, 400 crew members, men and women, on the ship. And suddenly Trelane gets kind of excited. Oh, yeah. He gets excited, Dana. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He <And> gets. <laughs> he says, uh, you know, women, you have women on board. And he says something about they all must be beautiful and well-dressed or something like that. He says he'll bring the women down to the planet. And Kirk stops him and says, this game has gone on long enough. And then just then McCoy's communicator beeps and says the transports, the transporter signal. And Trelane asks, what is it? And Kirk walks over to everybody else and they all get beamed off of uh, Trelane's castle. Trelane just kind of stands there complaining that they've abandoned him. So on the ship, Spock meets the party at the transporter and Kirk gives the order to warp out of the area at maximum speed. And on the bridge, there's a new young blonde yeoman. And then the young yeoman looks up and says, look, and everyone turns to see Trelane is standing on the bridge. Mm -hmm. Kirk tells him to get off the ship and Trelane says no. Then suddenly they're all back at the castle. Trelane warns the crew not to test him again. And then, of course, he asked to be introduced to the women. So uh, Uhura got beamed down as well as the yeoman. Yeah, it's Yeoman Ross. And he sees Uhura and he says, she's a Nubian prize. And he takes her hand and kisses her hand. And then he kind of looks to glances at Kirk and says, taken during one of your con- your raids of conquest, no doubt. He's, Trelane says she has the same coloring and the eyes as the Queen of Sheba. And then he's introduced to Yeoman Ross and he asks, he says, is this the face that launched a, th- a thousand ships? And he goes to kiss her and Kirk stops him and pulls him away. And then he introduces him to Spock again. And he says, you know, this is my science officer, Spock. Trelane says, you object to me. And Spock says, I object to you. I object to intellect without discipline. I object to power without constructive purpose, which is 
my favorite line from the show. Yeah, it's a great line. It is a great line. Trelane says, you have one redeeming quality, and that is that you're ill-mannered. <laughs> which which is like totally opposite of Spock yeah. in every regard. <laughs> and then he tells you her to play the harpsichord, and uh, he goes to take uh, Yeoman Ross for a dance, and her is like, I don't play the harpsichord. And he goes, well, of course you do. And all suddenly she's playing the harpsichord. Yeah. This is where McCoy comes up and tells uh, Kirk that the food and drink have no taste. And uh, Spock is not surprised. He says he knows all of your forms, but none of your substances. Kirk says he's fallible and something is helping him, a machine or a device. So Trelane gives Ross a new dress. Looks like she... Uh, Came out of uh, Marie Antoinette's uh, ball. Kirk pulls R- Ross away and Trelane, and then he challenges him to a duel. Yeah, in fact, uh, Kirk, Kirk is acting like uh, Ross is his property and Trelane needs to keep his hands off of her. And it, it's all a ruse. I mean, he doesn't, yeah. I don't think he means any of it, although his relationship with the various yeomen on, you know, throughout the series is always implied that there's something going on. But but in this case, he's just trying to kind of get Trelane to, to take the bait, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. And he knows because of the way Trelane's acting that if he challenges him to a duel, Trelane will accept. Trelane gets all excited and he goes and gets dueling pistols. And then he points one of the ones at Kirk's face and he says, uh, I never miss. And doesn't he mention that these were similar to the pistols that Alexander Hamilton used in his duel? Yeah, with Burr. With Burr, yeah. Who was vice president at the time, if you think about it. How bizarre, you know? And then he kills Alexander Hamilton, who's, what, I think, Secretary of the Treasury at the time. Uh, One that basically started the Treasury. Yeah, he did. That's right, yeah. So this is a history. We should do a history podcast, Dana. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to quit my day job. Can you imagine? Some kid goes to school. Yeah, uh, I heard on this podcast. And the teacher would be like, no. No. I, who are these people again? <laughs> One of them says he's a teacher. Mm-mm. And the other guy says that Jägermeister is made of blood. <laughs> so uh, Trelane says he gets the first shot. It's his game, his rules. And then he points a gun at Spock and uh, basically is saying, if you don't agree to my rules, I'm going to kill Spock. Yeah. So Kirk agrees. Uh, then Trelane aims at Kirk, then suddenly points the gun upward and fires. So then Trelane kind of like opens himself up and says, uh, my my fate is in your hands and uh, very being very noble and kind of playful at the same time. And Kirk takes aim and then he shoots the mirror and Trelane is uh, got this mirror that he's always looking into uh, next to the harpsichord and the mirror crashes and suddenly this part of the show loses me because it goes boing, ching, ding. It's like cartoonish yeah i oh Uh, i hated this part i hated this part of the show and of course you know trelane throws a fit he walks towards the mirror and says i will uh you've ruined everything and i i will kill all of you and he says go back to your ship you will feel my wrath you're all dead men especially you captain and then he goes towards the mirror and just disappears kirk calls the ship and says to beam everyone up and so they get uh beamed up then suddenly the planet's in front of them again and they're like on a crash course for it so yeah they keep making basically kind of wild maneuvers to try to avoid crashing into the planet finally uh they come to a stop and Kirk says he's going to beam down. Yeah, he's just like had it. He's like, 
Enough of this yeah. crap. Stop the ship. I'm going down there. Yeah, he's I'm going to have it out with Trelane. And then he tells Spock, if I'm not back in an hour, you know, break free, get the hell out of here, basically. Kirk goes to get on the turbo lift. Uh, suddenly he's back in the uh, back with Trelane and they're in a court setting. And Trelane is uh, wearing the black robe and the like white wig uh, from the, the old days. Like the English, yeah. an old English court. Well, they still wear those in English courts. Yeah, true. Yeah. And he says the prisoner may approach the bench and uh, we see a noose in shadow kind of behind Kirk. Uh, which is kind of a neat way to uh, set that up. He says uh, his instrumentality is now unbreakable uh, so that there can be no foul play by Kirk. He can't like shoot uh, the mirror or, or anything like that. Yeah. So uh, he starts to read off the charges against Kirk and Kirk's interrupting him, saying he's tired of the games. He wants his ship and crew set free. And Trelane says, uh, you agree to the charges? And Kirk says, yes, uh, anything to allow my ship to continue its journey. And he says, the people are innocent. They have done nothing, no harm, nothing wrong. And they are living beings, not playthings. Trelane says Kirk is guilty and will hang by the neck until he is dead, dead, dead. Trelane is saying he didn't think it was possible, but he was experiencing anger and rage. And he says that the experiment has been successful. Uh, the news comes closer to Kirk as Trelane is grabbing a hangman's black mask. Kirk takes a different approach with Trelane and says that he's missed his opportunity, that, you know, there's no sport in what he's uh, proposing. This kind of confuses Trelane and intrigues him at the same time. Yeah, and Kirk knows this, right? Kirk knows that if he yeah. can hook Trelane with um, with some type of battle in some way that maybe Kirk can get out of this. And Trelane proposes a hunt where he hunts Kirk. Uh, I don't know if you ever read the story, The Most Dangerous Game. That's what came to mind for me yeah. or seeing the movie. Yeah, for me too, um, exactly. And Kirk says, uh, well, what's in it for me? He says, you must release my ship and let it go on its journey. And... Trelane is upset. Always the ship, you know, always you're just so worried about the ship. Finally, Trelane accepts Kirk's terms. Next thing we see is Kirk is outside of the castle. Suddenly Trelane appears with a sword and starts trying to kill Kirk. Kirk dives out of the way of one of the lunges. It's so bad. It's like a slow motion roll in which time Trelane could have like stabbed him about 50 times. (laughs) (laughs) These aren't stunt actors. In this scene, oh, it's, no. it's Trelane, uh, William Campbell, and it's um, William Shatner doing these stunts. And maybe that's why they had to do it so slowly, just because they're not, you know, that's not their thing. They're not trained at that type of thing. Kirk gets up and runs away. Trelane keeps after him. Every time Kirk gets a chance, he tries to call the ship. Trelane keeps chasing him. At one point, uh, Kirk uh, comes around when Trelane's not looking and he knocks a sword out of his hand, but then Trelane just makes a new sword appear. Kirk runs back towards the castle and tries to get in the castle, but the door is locked. And then a cage appears on one side and he goes turn the other way and another cage appears. And Trelane's basically got him cornered and uh, comes up. And again, Kirk just says, uh, you know, when Trelane's like, I've won, I've won. And he's, you know, all giddy. Kirk says, no, you haven't. You haven't won anything. He goes, you know, there's no battle. And he says, you've tricked me and all this. And uh, Trelane 
is uh again upset and then oh he has a fit and kirk actually slaps him on the face to try to like knock him out of it that just infuriates trelane more and he's gonna kill kirk there's just no doubt at this point and then all of a sudden these two green globs of light appear and call to trelane he runs away from kirk he complains that they're ruining his fun there's there's a male voice and a female voice so you get the feeling that they're parental figures and they say uh it's time for him to come in <laughs> yeah it, oh god this part dana i and then he starts talking like a little kid yeah you know the the and, mannerisms and the, the kind of the inflection and it just oh that bugged me so much he says i won't listen to you and things like that they say when you grow up you'll understand he fades and disappears um the green glowing gobs apologize to kirk and say they won't they'll let him get back to his ship kirk he asks who they are, who Trelane was, but he doesn't get an answer. They just leave. Yeah. Next thing we see is uh, he's back on the bridge. I, I didn't like this part, Dana. I did not like the end of the show. On the bridge, uh, they're at Warp Factor 4. Spock uh, comes up to Kirk and asks, for the record, how do we classify Trelane? Kirk says, you know, God of War, a child, a very naughty child. And then he kind of looks at, at Spock and says, uh, he was, you know, a, a naughty boy. He probably like did the same things you did as a little boy. <laughs> and Spock kind of raises an eyebrow and he says, dipping girls' pigtails in ink bottles, stealing apples from a neighbor's tree. And then he kind of realizes what he's saying and he apologizes to Spock. And Spock walks away looking slightly perplexed and at one moment looks like he's going to turn around and say something then just kind of shakes his head and moves on right you know what i found interesting here dana is the examples that kirk used the dipping the very old old super old like i only know them because i've seen other references in movies or something you know yeah dipping girls pigtails in ink bottles i mean we're not young, Dan, but uh, <laughs> I never used an ink bottle in my life. No, <laughs> I know what one is, uh, but I never used one. Um, I think those went out like in the 40s. <laughs> yeah, it was it was odd. So, Dan, did you have uh, favorite parts of this episode? I know that there are some things you weren't as crazy about, but we'll get to those in a second. Uh, what are some of the best parts? Yeah, one of the best parts was the actor William Campbell who played Trelane. I thought he was totally believable as that character. And the way that he could switch from being funny and charming to menacing was really convincing to me. So for the most part, I love the character, but I really love the actor. How about for you? Uh, What was the best part for you? It's kind of funny, but Scotty and Sulu were fairly involved, uh, especially Sulu's uh, in a lot of the scenes. There was more of the whole cast. Uh, Another, real quick, another thing I thought was good. There was some moments in it was kind of a fun episode, but there... There's a real undertone in this about the about war and uh, the kind of brutality of war. And I was reading that the uh, writer of the episode wanted to make this as an anti-war statement, but I think that some of those tones uh, still exist in there. And I thought it was it was good. Well, I think all art, and we can consider this art, is a product of the time in which it's made. And Vietnam War was going on in the 1960s. It had quite gotten to the crescendo of 1968 yet, where you know there's massive protests in the street, but we're getting there. And so, of course, that's going to be reflected in in the in the episode. 
What about uh, some of the worst parts for you? It was the stupid freaking sound effects when Kirk shoots the mirror. That was horrible. Bad choice by the sound design person. Yeah. Do you have another worst part? You know, we, we talked about it a little bit. The uh, Trelane is a lot like Charlie X. So, Dana, let's go to the counts. How many dead crewmen do we have this week, Dana? Unfortunately, none, Dan. Yeah, once uh, again. Oh, God. You know, this is really horrible. So we're... I, I, I really thought Jaeger might be... Jaeger uh, uh, or uh, DeSalle might end up uh, a dead crewman. No, so no one... Again this week, Dana, we're stuck at 23 and a half. What about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count? Again, we I thought we had a chance for uh, a rip shirt, a cut shirt, something with uh, Trelane and Kirk's final battle, but it uh, wasn't to be. Eight. We're stuck at eight on that one. Uh, the he's dead count? Still... Still eight out of 17 episodes. Well, yeah. So that's that's uh, a half of a shirt, about half a shirt every episode. <laughs> if we're doing the math right. I think we are. Uh, what about the he's dead count? Uh, there was none. Yeah, because no one died. <laughs> so those two are kind yeah. of related. The he's dead and <laughs> and the uh, how many... <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, you know, Corey could have said it about the uh, salt sucker, you know, that's a... Uh, or the, the meth adult big bird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so we're stuck at three, only three. And then I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Yep, not even a chance there. Didn't see it once. Zero, so we're stuck at one. How about a couple of things from history? Well, this episode aired on January 12th, 1967. There was a Dr. James Bedford. He became the first person to be cryogenically preserved with the intent of future resuscitation. And his remains are still preserved at the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. Yeah, I've got the feeling that guy looks like some hamburger that I left in the freezer for about a year and forgot it was down there. And you know how it gets all like crystallized and stuff. I, that guy's not coming back. Also, uh, on that date, Muhammad Ali was refused exemption from the draft board. So, uh, they were telling him that he had to, uh, he could be drafted because he, he, um, declared himself a conscientious objector and, uh, was for religious reasons. Yep. For religious reasons and opposed the war. And, some people made fun of him and said, well, you're a boxer. Obviously, you don't oppose fighting. They couldn't see the difference there, apparently. But yeah, I mean, that was a pretty important uh, important step in the anti-war movement. And uh, at this point on January 12th, uh, I'm a Believer by the Monkees was the number one song on the Billboard charts. And again, the tie-in there is that in the show, The Monkees, Michael Nesmith wore the same jacket that Trelane wears in this episode. What's the episode we got for next week, Dana? It's the arena. The first time we see the Gorn. Yeah, it's going to be a really, really good one. All right, Dana. So uh, I've had a great time this week. Um, it's good to be back, and it's good to be uh, doing these episodes again. Yeah, I miss sitting down with you and going over these episodes. All right, Dana. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Okay. As always, live long and prosper. 
Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. As mentioned in the podcast, you might love to visit the future birthplace of Captain James Tiberius Kirk in Riverside, Iowa. You can find a link to that community in the show description. For Dan and Dana, have a great weekend, and as always, live long and prosper.